This is the Sharp End Podcast, episode number 80. I'm Ashley, the only human behind the curtain of the show. First off, thank you to Rocky Talkies for sponsoring the Sharp End. Rocky Talkies are backcountry radios designed by two climbers from Denver. These radios are extremely lightweight, durable, and more affordable than any other backcountry radio on the market. And as you listen into this episode, you'll understand why these radios are such a valuable resource to have in the backcountry. Glenn and Angie could have used a pair of these radios on Oval Peak, which may have mitigated some of the objective risks they experienced. If you like discounts, get 10% off your radios by going to Rocky Talkie, R-O-C-K-Y-T-A-L-K-I-E dot com slash sharp end. This episode is also sponsored by Ski Babes, mind and body training for winter sports. Get strong, build confidence, and keep up with your friends, all while preventing injuries so you can have as much fun as possible this winter. Ski Babes is designed to fit in your busy life, so when the weekend hits, you're ready. Stream this mental health-informed program from wherever you are and get support from a community of women who get it. The 2022 training season starts October 10th. Sign up at skibabes.com with discount code SHARPENBABES to get 20 bucks off. Here's to more strength and confidence with less injuries, fear, and self-doubt this winter. As always, thank you to the American Alpine Club for plugging my podcast in their newsletter, The Prescription. Head on over to their website to subscribe. This episode is a follow-up from last month's episode, episode number 79. Make sure to listen to episode 79 before listening to this one. In today's episode, I talk with Angie Cooper about what happened on Oval Peak with Glenn Block on the 8,800-foot mountain in the North Cascades of Washington State. Listen in to hear Angie share their perspective of what happened and why. Hello, Angie, and welcome to the Sharp End Podcast. It is um, lovely to have you here, and I spoke with uh, your uh, hiking partner, um, Glenn Block, uh, last month, and he was on the August 1st, 2022 mm-hmm. episode about um, a hike that you and Glenn did on Oval Peak, and he shared his perspective of his experience, mm-hmm. and um, and you, you couldn't make it to that specific interview, but we scheduled um, our own interview to, to kind of give you space to share um, your perspective and your experience on that hike. So I'm really looking forward to hearing what you have to say. And if you don't mind going, uh, going ahead and introducing yourself to our Sharpen listeners. Sure. So my name is Angie Cooper. My pronouns are they, them. I work in tech um, and I, you know, recreate in the backcountry um, unprofessionally. So just as a hobby, Um, And I have for approximately a decade in the last, I want to say three years or so, I've really gotten into scrambling and like alpine climbing, but um, most of that's actually been happening over the course of the pandemic. So I'm still being honest and vulnerable, um, not as experienced as say, you know, a guide or a more advanced individual. So um, just definitely want to couch that fact. Okay, thanks. And and Angie, where do you live? I live around the Seattle area, and mm-hmm. I um, have been a Washington native for almost all my life. 
Okay, so. cool. And then could, just remind me and the listeners, uh, when when was this day? What, what day was it that you and Glenn took off for um, to hike the Oval Peak? Sure. So this was May 30th, 2021, when um, we originally set off to go hike this peak. But I want to provide a little bit of context and background to this because I think how we met and the other things that we did prior to doing the hike on Oval Peak is very important to the discussion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. So basically... We had introduced ourselves or rather gotten to know each other over um, a Facebook group that was related to peak bagging. Um, and peak bagging is kind of like the gamification of getting to the highest points you possibly can <laughs> and then going, woo, I got here. Um, and um, Glenn was fairly new and he was asking all sorts of good questions to the Facebook group. And um, I provided some input and stuff like that because I was trying to be helpful. We ended up going on this hike up to Camp Muir, which is a training hike um, for folks who are getting ready to climb Mount Rainier. Um, and he did reasonably well. You know, it was pretty hard because he was actually like doing some things that some of the other folks in the group weren't doing, and that was kind of slowing him down. Um, so I kind of chalked that up to the gear that he was using and the experience, um, because Camp Muir is a hard hike. This particular group of folks, after we departed, parted ways um, at Camp Muir, we basically kept in touch over Facebook Messenger and um, we were kind of sharing things back and forth over, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go do that, et cetera, et cetera. And like Glenn was a part of that conversation. So he kind of got in on the enthusiasm that we were building up. We were like chatty about this stuff. I threw out, oh yeah, I'm going to go do like Oval Courtney and Star this one weekend. And like everyone else was busy, but Glenn was like, hey, I want to get in on that. So we started this chat offline and I started like crunching the numbers and stuff and doing more um, research. And I was like, Glenn, this is going to be a really long day. Um, are you sure you want to do this? Um, and he's like, yeah, yeah, I totally want to do this. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do like some of these other hikes like before then, like a little bit south of the area, like, much easier ones to kind of like feel Glenn out and see like if he could keep up with me relatively well. And like, I didn't scare him off too much <laughs> with some of the stuff that we might be getting into up at Oval. So went on this one hike up this place called Serpentine Hill dumpster hike. Um, there was some bushwhacking, there was some scree, there was, um, walking down ridges, root finding, all this other stuff. Um, and like, we were both feeling really good over the course of the hike. I mean, it was difficult because we were basically going straight up because I'm a masochist. <laughs> and um, like, he met the challenge and he did 
really well, in my opinion. So I was like going, oh, this person like isn't quite as fast as some of my other hiking partners, but he can keep up reasonably well. So I feel comfortable, like if he feels comfortable, like taking him out to Oval Peak, which um, in retrospect, as noted in his episode, was not a good judgment call. So we ended up showing up at the trailhead right before dark because it was a long drive. I took a look at the bulletin board and I realized that there was a snowball's chance in hell effectively of us getting like all three done. I was like, what the hell was I thinking? (laughs) (laughs) Because they had like a nice elevation and mileage chart and everything. I was like, Oh, uh, that would be a long day for me. I can't put Glenn through all three of those. Um, like, and I would probably be suffering. So I knew that all three of them was immediately out. So I was like, let's either do like Star and Courtney or let's do Oval. And I was actually leaning towards Star and Courtney. Um, and part of the reason why was that I'd read reports and it said that like Oval kind of suck getting up there. Um, like the trail was abandoned, blah, blah, blah. It, it just sounded like a kind of less pleasant experience compared to Star and Courtney. Um, so I kind of went in with that hope in mind. We woke up the next morning, did a quick gear check. I recommended that we start uh, pack light like before we even met up. So like over Facebook Messenger and stuff. And he really took that to heart, which was good, but he kind of underpacked when it came to food. So I was like, oh, well, shoot, I need to pack additional because I knew it was going to be harder for me. And I was like, well, I need to keep close to him because I feel like there's a good point that I will need to give some more food to him. And I believe I gave him a bar too. You know, I I was trying to like help him be better equipped for what the hike might entail. Right. Little context to a few weeks before, um, I've been hiking around the area like Hoodoo Peak, so I kind of knew what I was getting into in terms of like the terrain, um, some of the difficulties around snow and around like burn zones and stuff like that. Um, But Glenn had no idea about any of this stuff. Um, so I was kind of like the, I guess you could say authoritative, like you were the, you're the sort of the leader driver of the, of the trip. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, um, I had an idea of what we were going to get into, but he did not. And I didn't really run this by him first. I just assumed that he might have read my other trip reports and stuff with Hoodoo Peak and then kind of put two and two together, but that was a bad assumption. So, Ehu, hike it down the trail, run into West Buttermilk Creek, nasty log crossing. Glenn's description was fairly accurate. Um, the one thing I'll add on to that is that it... Um, the bark was missing on one section of the log, so that part of the log was slick in addition to being actually wet from the water. 
Um, and what I did was I used a dead limb in retrospect, that was a bad idea, um, as a hand line and I crossed the log and I was like, oh Lord, I can't use that on the way back. Uh, Glenn did the right thing by butt scooty across and, um, he got over a little bit damp, but not too bad. First section of the trail after that, um, was really nice. You know, we we're kind of, I was kind of trying to move quickly, like just keep a steady pace. We are kind of both looking at the flowers and stuff. There are a lot of like cool wildflowers that were popping out around the trail. Um, it was fairly overgrown though, because it, this trail hadn't been very well maintained in my opinion, um, due to the burn zone. Um, so that added some navigation challenges for Glenn, but because I was kind of blazing away, he, um, had an idea of where to go and he had someone to follow. And then we run into the burn zone, like the, the blowdown slowdown as some trip reporters actually called it. Um, and it's basically like two or three miles, um, of, burn trees that it basically turns into a gauntlet that you have to go through for about, you know, two or three miles. And it sucks. Because you're going up, down, around, over. Yep. And some of them we were actually, like, I was actually hopping on top of trees and like jumping down from three feet high. So these were like elevated off the ground. And Glenn was definitely having a hard time because he never had to deal with this before. Turns out that um, a lot of his experience um, was more on like better trails. And this was a completely new thing for him to have to deal with. Finally got out of it, got to the forest, cruiser trail for a little bit. It was wonderful. Um, but Glenn definitely like couldn't keep up the pace that I was doing um because it I wasn't doing the right thing and keeping a conversational pace I was just like we gotta go 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 because that it took us like an hour and a half to get over those burned trees like at that point honestly I should have said you know um it's not ideal but you know, maybe it's a good idea if we go back and like, I'll do this by myself tomorrow. Did you, did you say that to him? I mentioned that as a concern, like over our speed and stuff like that, but I kind of brushed it off a little bit. Um, and he's like, okay, I trust this person. They know what they're doing. Um, and so he felt comfortable continuing on, you know, I kind of tried to slow down a little bit. And that worked for a while. Then we hit snow and I moved pretty quickly the snow. And he told me that he had snowshoed before, but I didn't realize that it only had been one experience really that he had with some other folks um, on a much easier like snowshoe route. Honestly, that that should have been the biggest red flag like this is not a good idea. I should not be taking you on this. Uh, so I was kind of like blazing the trail up. Um, and I was like, Glenn, watch out for this. 
watch out for that, watch out for that. So I was kind of like trying to film in about watching out for the hazards and stuff. And we were staying within shouting distance, at least, of each other or like talking distance. But I was losing visual sight of him, which was not good. Um, so I stopped down at a point and like, I was like, I got to wait for him. Um, that really slowed Glenn down quite a bit. And it was probably around one o'clock or two o'clock at this point, I want to say. Um, and I've been patient, I guess, up to this point. But um, it was kind of waning a little bit because of the fact your, that... Your patience the, is waning? Yeah, because of the fact that, you know, my expectations like clearly were not match with reality. There was cognitive dissonance going on. And um, Glenn pointed this out in his podcast um, episode. He was like, NG was getting irritated with how slow I was going. And yeah, that was the case. But it was also the fact that I was kind of kicking myself a little bit over um, thinking that it was a good idea to do this because of that. I was starting to get a little bit of low grade anxiety, um, over being able to make it out over like burn zone and across that log over the Creek that I talked about before, um, before dark, I was like, okay, so we have like seven hours. We could do this. Like it only is a couple of miles. We could do this. I kept on pushing forward and like Glenn was definitely calling out for me. And I'm like, if I keep on turning around and going back to him and helping him out and stuff like that, um, that's just going to slow us down more. And like, it's, I felt reasonably safe leaving him like a little bit more distance because I could see him. Um, and we were still within shouting distance of one another, but we were way too far apart. I shouldn't have been that far apart with him. I, you know, got out of earshot with him. And I was starting to mull over some personal stuff that was going on in my life. The reason why I go out to, like, all these wild places, especially with COVID being what it is, is that it provided me with... Um, a healthy outlet mm-hmm. to, um, you know, basically kind of like heal myself because I work from home five days a week. And at that point in time, I was actually working, um, 80 plus hours a week, which bad work-life balance. That's totally my fault. Um, so I really relied on these things to kind of like get me outside of my environment that I'm in, like however yeah, it's, much during it's the healing week. for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just like a number of other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, because of 
the frustration and because of the additional stress and the additional cost of like watching out of like helping out Glenn and stuff like that, it, I started, I resent is not the right word. Um, I just started getting extremely irritated, um, stressed out because of work and other things that were going on in my life personally. Little blip about mental health here. Um, because of the fact that two months prior, I had messed around with my antidepressants. Um, and because I hadn't done it properly, I had been going through a lot of tumultuous feelings and life changes and other things like that over that period of time chemical imbalance from from sort of renegotiating your own your own meds is that what you're saying yes even though like the doctor was like working with me i was self-prescribing bad idea but that's playing a factor into sort of your uh, you know your emotional state when you're out there mm -hmm. right now mm -hmm. the usual like amount of patience and also clarity that i had prior to messing around with my meds and that I have now, I didn't really have it quite as much. Mm -hmm. So like that decision on top of the other things that were going on in my life seriously impaired my judgment. So I was focused more selfishly on getting up to the top of that mountain because it's like that was this whole struggle couldn't have been for nothing. Like, I want to get up to that top of that peak. You know, I feel like I accomplished something. Because of the frustration and stress that I had internally, I was like, I got to get away from Glenn for a little bit. Um, and I was like, this section's okay. There's snow. It's not the hardest stuff in the world. Um, but he's been doing really well so far. And like I was making good tracks, I wasn't worried about them blowing away or like avalanches or stuff like that at that point in time. Um, so, you know, I felt okay doing that. But if you're leading someone in the snow and if you're leading someone in general, you should absolutely not do that. That goes against, you know, best practices in mountaineering that are there for a very, very good reason because that's how people get lost. You acknowledge that you should have stayed in, in hindsight, you should have stayed close to Glenn um, because he's, Absolutely. you know, you, you committed to going out with him that day. So, and he's your hiking Absolutely. partner for the day. So you, you stick together, but you, but you're saying that you, you know, you decided in that moment to, to, to go ahead because you needed some personal space to process what was going on in your personal life. Mm -hmm. And, um, mm -hmm. and, you know, you felt like it was a, the safest place to kind of, you know, hike separately for a while because you could see him the whole time. Well, before I could see him, but it, once I rounded the corner, um, like below one of the smaller ridges, um, called buttermilk Ridge, um, like we completely lost sight of each other. So, and this is where the Rocky talkies or something else along those lines would have helped. <laughs> yeah. Having radios in the mountains is so, is so crucial. Yeah. Yeah, well, and the other thing too, like as an added note as well, we both had garments. Anywho, so there was a lower tarn. I kept on going up, got to an upper tarn. I was like, I calmed down at that point, 
And so I'm like, okay, this is a great spot to stop. And like, I absolutely need to wait for Glenn. Um, about 10 minutes passed and like Glenn finally caught up to me and he was pretty tired because snowshoeing's hard work. Um, and like I effectively rested up at that point, sort of. So I like paused for a few minutes because I knew that it wouldn't be a good idea for me to go back uphill immediately after he just got there. But I didn't wait long enough for him to really rest up and for us to really talk about what had happened first. Um, before pressing on. So I kind of like gave him an overview of what was coming up ahead, but that was kind of the extent of our conversation. I was like, we're really running behind Glenn. It's like 3, 30, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, I believe. And I'm like, we got to get up that hill if we're serious. And so I started working my way uphill. I felt really comfortable doing it. Um, it was just a few hundred feet. I got up to the ridge spine, or I got close to the ridge spine, rather. Um, Glenn, because he was tired from snowshoeing and because, you know, he'd been pushing a few hundred more feet, um, he was at the base of what he called the headwall. Um, and he like said, Hey Angie, like, should I put crampons on? I'm like going, well, I think it might be a good idea, but it's your call. And I kind of shot back down to him. I'm going to shoot for the summit. It was 4:30. I did some quick math. I was like, I can totally get there like an hour. So I was like, if I'm not like up there at 5.30, I'm going to be coming back down the mountain regardless. Um, the clouds were darker than I expected because um, it looked like it was going to rain. Um, it was a little bit breezy, so it was harder to like keep within earshot of one another. And I'm just like, I got to get down. And we need to collectively get down, like, and out of the burn zone if we can <laughs> before dark. Because what was running through my mind was when it gets dark, the likelihood of injury and errors and things like that is only going to get more probable. Like, and I was starting to get really anxious and stressed out about, you know, having to possibly cross the log over the creek. The slope and the drainage, like most drainages are, was fairly steep. So Glenn was having difficulty using his snowshoes getting down there because he hadn't really had that exposure before. Um, and I was getting frustrated with the situation and that kind of showed to him 
like as frustration in him and I admittedly was a little bit frustrated um, that, you know, we had gotten into this scenario and, you know, I, I was kind of projecting a little bit of my frustration on him because I was like, why in the heck didn't he tell me that he like didn't do this stuff? We had a discussion, um, realized that we weren't going to make it out before dark. But we were going to try and push as hard as we could to get over or and out of the burn zone before dark. Because I knew that was going to be hell and there was a good chance of injury if we didn't do that. Um, but we were both really tired at that point, And so we weren't moving very quickly. And we just started entering the burn zone at dark. Um, I was really tired at this point. My boots had gotten water saturated and as like hopping over blowdowns kind of mindlessly, I got way too far ahead. Um, so I stopped once waited for him to catch up. I was vulnerable with him. Like, Hey, Dude, I'm in over my head, like trying to lead you and stuff like that. Like, um, but I'm also really tired. I mean, I, I got that off of my chest, but it didn't also sink in kind of like the fact that we needed to stick together and I wasn't like being mindful of where he was in relation to me. And because I didn't let him go out in front and I was going out in front, I got separated from him again. Um, and I got all the way down to the creek and I was waiting for about 10 minutes. I broke down because of my personal stress over losing Glenn. It was windy. Um, and like it, it was just a, a lot going on. I was a hot mess. Um, I started crying and like, I gotta get it together because it's 16 and a half hours in. Um, so like, I gotta get my shit worked out and then go back and find Glenn. I'm not going to leave him out here and we need to go across this together. Um, so I went back for about a quarter of a mile. I found Glenn, he was shaken, um, injured, and I'm like, oh my gosh, what happened to you? He was crying, I was crying, um, and like we were just happy to see each other. And I was like, Glenn, and I finally did what I should have done before. Glenn, you need to go out in front. We're going to walk together to this creek and cross this doggone log. I went across, tightrope walking, he crossed, fell in, jumped out, and I got him out, and he was like, oh, God, I saw my life flash before my eyes. Because the river is moving like, pretty, that creek, it was moving pretty good. Yeah, it was, like, probably about two to three feet deep at least, um, and it was, like, going five, ten miles an hour. It was mm -hmm. fast. Glenn, we just have a little more to go, another, like, quarter mile. So we just walked out like 
we had our, thank goodness, we got to the trailhead, like feeling. Um, I gave him some food. Um, I tried to help him, like, deal with his wound and stuff like that because I had um, Woofa under my belt, got into our tents and sleeping bags, passed out. Woke up the next morning. We talked about what happened a little bit. What were some of the things that you came up with on, on, on your end, Angie, on your specific end? Like, what did you learn from this experience with, with Glenn? So some of the key takeaways that I had from this experience was um, from this particular one, you should not have been separated. There mm-hmm. are There are different things that could have been done to help mitigate that um, or prevent it in general. Like I should have let him go out in front because he was the slower of the two of us. Um, And like, I just need to readjust my expectations because of that fact. So like if we hadn't been separated, there's a good chance that, you know, neither of us would have gotten farther than probably the boulder field. Yeah, you would have stopped and turned around at that point. Yes, yes, Mm -hmm. but we would have made it back safely. Yeah. Um, There are other ways to deal with this too. Like, I could have told Glenn, yo, wait at the bottom of the head wall. I'll be back, you know, to help. I mean, to walk down with you and stuff like that. Or I could have said, Glenn, is there any way that you would feel safe, like waiting here on the trail or like around here? Like, but that would have been a really bad idea um, in retrospect. There are better ways to, when you have to separate, um, do it. So that way you don't run into a lot of the situations that we dealt with. Um, a big thing I should have vetted him a little bit better before getting into this and shouldn't have gone straight from doing Camp and Serpentine Hill to Oval Peak. I was just jumping in the deep end of the pool. So you're Some saying uh, start, starting off on a, um, shorter hikes or less, you know, less strenuous mm-hmm. hikes to sort of vet each other's skills mm-hmm. and get to know each other a little bit better. Right. And also, you know, there are other things that we could have even done on that trail. Like we could have gone to the burn zone and could have been like, yo, Glenn, here's what I do to get over those, these doggone trees. And we could have worked on that together. Mm -hmm. Um, I could have shown him some of the techniques I used and that might've actually helped him. Or he could have told me, yo, Angie, this is too much for me. Last thing that is really important, not just when leading, but also soloing and doing any sort of mountaineering objective is mountaineering is emotionally and mentally taxing as well as physically taxing. And I really should have taken a mental and emotional inventory before offering to take Glenn out on this trip. 
Um, because honestly, in retrospect, my judgment was impaired. And that was really dangerous for me to be in the lead in that particular like hike. Well, thank you so much, Angie. And I think that there, there's a lot that went into your decision-making with sort of, you know, leaving Glenn and, you know, going ahead of him and not waiting for him. I mean, you were dealing with a lot of personal, emotional things going on in your head and your heart, your antidepressants, um, a lot, lot more was going on for you than just, you know, blazing ahead. And I think that's really important to shine light on because um, mental health, we don't talk about it very often, you know, and so it's just such an, you know, hiking is such an objective thing, but a lot of us go to the mountains for very deep personal reasons. And it sounds like, yeah. it sounds like you were working a lot of personal things out um, at the same time as you know, hiking with a new partner. So there's a lot that goes into this incident than just, you know, you leaving your partner in the, in the woods. Yeah, that's fair. And it's just something that I hadn't really thought about because I'd gotten past that quote unquote. Um, I've like worked through it with a therapist and other things. Um, and because that point in 2021 was like a heavy risk taking year, um, like there are a lot of things I just kind of forgot about or canceled out, I guess. Yeah. Or, or just weren't paying attention to because you had other things going on. Yeah. yeah. You were working through other things. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Other stuff that I don't think belongs in this episode. <laughs> yeah. And that's, and that's fair. I don't want to pry and, you know, um, but I think it's it's important to our listeners to know that, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of things when we go in the mountains where a lot of us are doing it just to clear our heads and kind of almost run away from things that we can't run away from in the real world. <laughs> and right, uh, right. Agreeing with you. I was treating mountaineering and I am to a lesser degree now, but over the course of this pandemic I've been treating it as a form of escapism which is kind of what I was alluding to before when I was talking about work-life balance and stuff right well I think name naming it if that's what it is for you naming it it's all about being vulnerable and sharing like what's really going on and why are we really making these choices um, and how can we learn from them and grow from them Now, I want you to think about that. Why do you go into the mountains? And what do you take into the mountains from your personal life that may cloud your judgment or distract you from what it is you're actually doing? Has this happened to you? What did you learn from this episode? And thank you so much, Engie, for your vulnerability in sharing your personal story and perspective on the Oval Peak incident from episode 79. Thank you to all the sponsors of this episode, Rocky Talkie, Ski Babes, and the American Alpine Club. Show your support by donating on PayPal or becoming a Patreon member. This podcast doesn't support itself, and I am one person producing this entire show for you. Did you know that the American Alpine Club has their own podcast now? You can now take a deep dive into your favorite American Alpine Club content via your headphones and your car stereo. 
the drive to work or your favorite hangboard routine just got way more interesting. Find the American Alpine Club podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Google Podcasts. And as always, remember, play hard and be smart.